This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Secret Podcast. This is episode 313. I'm your host, Jess Root from Cardswire.com. This is the third of our six opponent preview series, so we will be without Seth Cox for another episode as he gets to take some time off before training camp starts. This edition of the show, we've got two opponents. Last, there are two from last week. The first opponents we did our weeks one through three with the Tennessee Titans Minnesota Vikings and Jacksonville Jaguars in episode 312 we focused on the NFC West and we had guests to talk about our NFC West rivals the LA Rams we had Cam DeSilva from Ramswire.com the Ramswire.com that is Kyle Matzab from uh, Niners Wire and Cole Musgrove from Seahawks Wire. And in this edition of the show, we have guests to talk about and preview the Cardinals Week 6 and Week 7 opponents, the Cleveland Browns in Week 6 and the Houston Texans in Week 7. Let's go ahead and get started, and we start with the Cleveland Browns. To help us talk about the Browns, even though we had the Browns on the schedule just two seasons ago, is the site editor from BrownsWire.com, our NFL Wire site, for the Cleveland Browns, our sister site to CardsWire.com is Jared Bueller. Jared, uh, fairly new to the to the network, we welcome you. Uh, when and so you like we we actually have recorded with Jeff Risen, whom you've known for many years, as we talked Lions with him. So welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. And how you been? You know, I'm doing good, man. It's good to be a part of the wire. Uh, you know, been been doing this media thing as kind of my second job for about a decade now. So uh, I've kind of bounced here, bounced there, and you know, I get to do my my counseling as my main job, and get to, you know, I'm passionate about the Browns, passionate about Cleveland sports. So it's a really good fit. And then Jeff and I have known each other for a while. I always say, if you've heard a man snore, then you, <laughs> you, just, you just know him. So uh, Jeff and I have known each other for for years now. Uh, it's great to great to be a part of it, Justin. So you and I can can understand the grind that it is in this in this second like it's basically two full time jobs. Uh, I teach high school uh, full time. Uh, you counsel, and so and then we do this on the side. Uh, my, for me, the grind for me during the school year is okay. So I get up at three forty five in the morning to write before school, do the school thing, come home, write some more, great stuff, write some more. It's it's a grind all day long, but it. I mean, it's kind of great that it, we're, we're football worth, fans and right. we're literate enough to write about football fan, about football, and we get paid for it too. It's kind of great. It is. And I think the other thing, you know, for both of us doing kind of serious work, right? Like emotionally invested in kids or your clients or whatever, like it's good to have this other thing that's fun. It's work, but it's fun as well. Like, cause it just gives a nice balance to the work life. <laughs> Absolutely. And then. Absolutely. Listen, it pays some bills, right? Like we, <laughs> I wouldn't work this hard if it didn't pay some bills. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, now I know my listeners don't really want to hear or talk about our our other jobs because they listen to the show because it's a podcast about the Cardinals and we're talking about the Browns. So let's take it back to the 2020 season, a successful season for the Cleveland Browns, who made it to the postseason and won a postseason game. The Cardinals fans, if we could kind of look at what what the Browns did over the last couple of years, it's kind of like the Cardinals in 2021 
really should hope to match the arc of the Cleveland Browns from a year ago, taking the next leap, making it to the postseason, sneaking a uh, postseason win. What was good about last year? Obviously, there was there were plenty to be good about. What was there that was perhaps even disappointing? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. So the good, obviously, 11-5. and five. Um, Not only did they win a playoff game, but they just trounced their rival in the Steelers. <laughs> like, the way that game started was just amazing. But really what it was, when you look at the, the way the season went, week eight and on, Cleveland Browns' offense was one of the best offenses in the league without Odell Beckham Jr. Now, some people connect those two. They're not connected. It's about development and all that. The Browns are really, really good without really an explosive player outside of their running backs. Uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and so getting that getting back Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be huge but last year the offense under Kevin Stefanski in year one the wide zone scheme the runs look like passes the passes look like runs uh, Baker Mayfield the first year ever he played under center his fourth offensive coordinator in four years uh, or I'm sorry his fourth offensive coordinator in his yeah fourth year third year I'm off on numbers now at this point in time. He's had so many freaking coaches and offensive corners. But either way, first time playing under under center, uh, there was just a lot that went really, really good about the offense. Um, you saw the development. You saw the growth. Uh, you, we had a great offensive line. Wyatt Teller came out of nowhere to be what some people called the best guard in the NFL last year. Uh, him and Quentin Nelson really were kind of neck and neck there. Uh, and so I think it's just really amazing what Kevin Stefanski was able to do. Uh, the Browns had a lot of COVID-related shutdowns um, during the season, a lot of weeks where they barely got to practice. One week where they literally were uh, putting in the wide receivers in a parking garage uh, Saturday before a Sunday game. Um, and that's how they were able to practice. And they pulled all, they did all of that and pulled off an 11 and five season. Uh, the, the bad was that defense was terrible. I mean, the reality is, is Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, a little bit of Olivier Vernon. He was kind of hit or miss before he tore uh, his Achilles tendon uh, in the last game of the season. Besides that, there wasn't a lot good on the field. Denzel Ward was up and down uh, in his season. And then there was just a lot of terrible players like uh, Andrew Sandejo, Mac Wilson. Uh, there was just a lot of bad play on the defensive side of the ball, which when you go into what they did this offseason, you're like, oh, that makes sense. They literally expect at this point in time uh, to have uh, nine new, or sorry, eight new starters on the defense. Ronnie Harrison, Denzel Ward, and Miles Garrett will be the only three starters returning from a defense that somehow only made them lose five games. Uh, <laughs> one of those was in like a, a hurricane against the Raiders where no one could throw the ball. So uh, just a lot of good on the offensive side of the ball. And somehow they still made it work despite the fact the defense was just horrendous. Which takes us to which takes us to the to the offseason. Um, you the the Browns are kind of taking the anti Tampa Bay approach. Tampa Bay, who won the championship, are rolling it running it back with all twenty two starters, which you'd think is a smart idea. But I keep thinking like the way I see it the, is this: it's really hard to repeat. Period in any sport as a champion as a champion, and then to do it with the exact same group is risky i i get why they're doing it bruce arians a former coach of the car he's old he doesn't want to change things tom brady he's old so to try and bring people in like starters who will have to learn they can already get hit the ground running this season but while i expect them to be good i, I don't think personally i wouldn't make them the favorite this year coming out of the nfc 
No, and you know, I mean, one of the things I just it just popped into my head was all of their starters played all of those games, right? Like that's a lot of extra snaps on those bodies. A lot of those players are a little bit older. Um, so it's just, you know, again, nothing new, nothing fresh. Uh, and now you have some players who have played a few extra snaps, right? You're all the way to, you know, they won the Super Bowl. I think there's just a lot of wear and tear there. I think, uh, I think Brady is going to wear on people at some level down there, <laughs> the whole Patriot way that he, you know, is a big fan of. So yeah, they definitely went in the opposite direction of the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, but I think losing to Kansas City without Patrick Mahomes, um, which by the way, they shouldn't have lost. Rashard Higgins got hit in the head uh, by Daniel Sorensen, should have been a penalty, wasn't a penalty, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but losing to the Patrick Mahomes list Chiefs uh, really stuck in their crawl. They believe they should have won that game. They believe they should have been close or competitive uh, with Mahomes. They believe they should have won the game. So changing it up on the defensive side of the ball made a lot of sense. And, and it is. So it's with a team that has success, it's always the balance of how much continuity and how much improvement. And it, it appears that the personnel, at least defensively, they didn't feel they were going to get improvement. And so they go with uh, continuity offensively and then bring a new talent defensively tell us the tell us the 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 main losses and the main additions so the the main losses um really on defense were uh, they cut sheldon richardson after signing jadevian clown jadevian clowny malik jackson and tack mckinley for about what they were paying sheldon richardson give or take you know how the all the contracts worked them work themselves out um, so they cut Sheldon Richardson. He went to Minnesota. He was mad about the business aspects of some of that, uh, because the Browns actually offered him more money than Minnesota did to bring him back. Uh, but they cut him later in the off season, didn't communicate perfectly with him. Um, and so, but they revamped the defensive line. Uh, Andrew Billings comes back. Uh, he took a, a year off from the, with the COVID opt out. Um, and then beyond that, it was Terrence Mitchell. He was, he would have been their third or fourth cornerback this year. Uh, and then there really wasn't much else that they, they really lost. They lost a few of their special teams players, Tavier Thomas, Tay Davis. They're hoping younger, cheaper guys can be signed. Um, Larry Ogunjobi on the defensive line who never really stood out. And then you have additions up the wazoo. Like I just talked about the defensive line, three guys who could start, might start with Clowney, Tack McKinley, Malik Jackson uh, in the secondary uh, John Johnson, the third Troy Hill, uh, Greg, Nixon, the, were yeah, fantastic I mean, great. In Los yeah, great for you guys in Arizona, St. Louis. <laughs> I'm sorry, not St. Louis, Los Angeles, the Rams, their defense goes down uh, because the Browns take two of their better players. Obviously Jalen Ramsey's good. Aaron Donald's kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> good gracious. Is that man a beast? Um, so you, you add John Johnson, the third, the secondary, uh, you add Troy Hill as their slot corner. They draft Greg Newsom, uh, the second, uh, in the first round. I and really then like him. he's really good. He's really scheme versatile. They actually think he can play some slot for them as well if needed, uh, because they get greedy Williams back. He was out for an entire year with a shoulder neck thing, second round pick from two years ago, uh, or three years ago now. Um, and then they get Grant Delpit, their second round pick last year back as well. So you have all these players in the secondary returning. And then at the linebacker group, they brought in Anthony Walker. We saw Darius Leonard talk so highly of him as a leader. Um, so they brought him in Malcolm Smith returns for a year. And then 
There he is in the second round, the guy they almost selected in the first round, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, who is some combination of a safety, a linebacker, and a slot cornerback that the Browns right now have so much speed on the defensive side of the ball. They all got to come together. It's all got to work. Obviously, relying on rookies is a bad idea, but you got John Johnson the third. You bring in Troy Hill. You have Denzel Ward. All Malik Jackson's been a Super Bowl champion. All of a sudden, the Browns are deep. They don't have a weakness. And I am very much the the devil's advocate looking. If someone says everything's going well, I'm going to see the negative. I'm going to, I'm going to find it and vice versa. I, there is not a weakness on this team. I might nitpick about their punter and kicker. Like that's really where we're at at this point in time. I don't know how to handle that. I've been a Browns fan since I, my brother taught me how to read using baseball and football cards. Like I don't know how to deal with the fact that my team has no weaknesses. So, um, which takes us to on the opposite obviously you get Odell Beckham back uh any other additions there or subtractions yeah so no big subtractions Richard Higgins Hollywood Higgins uh returns he is someone that Baker Mayfield him and Baker just just vibe like they just know each other feel real comfortable with each other um the Browns uh, drafted Anthony Schwartz in the third round uh literal world-class B like he was a track guy um and so now there will be times where Odell will be on the outside. Anthony Schwartz will be on the outside. And then they've got Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Harrison Bryant at tight end. Um, Jarvis Landry, obviously still playing in the slot. And then they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So um, from what I remember off the top of my head, memorable losses on the offense. Not that I can think of. Doesn't sound um, very memorable at all. No, I mean, they, they literally bringing back uh, almost everybody. Uh, Drew Forbes comes back off of the opt-out list. Um, last year they were playing with literally Baker at the end of a game said um, my, my left guard was some guy named Blake. Cause he literally didn't know the guy's last name and met him when they were getting dressed for that game. Like that's the kind of players they were playing with. So uh, they've got a lot of depth on offensive line. If Arizona or anybody else is looking for, you know, some kind of cheap trade kind of later in the, uh, in the off season and training camp, uh, the Browns offensive line group, they're probably going to cut some quality players at this point in time. So that's definitely a place that people will want to look a lot of wide receivers. Jojo Natson is a return man. Who's really fast again from the Rams um, that he tore his ACL in week three, I believe last last year. Um, he'll be competing for a spot. Canero Hodge uh, was a restricted free agent. He's a very fast, uh, is a really good gunner, can return some kicks, but also play wide receiver. The Browns have a lot of talent and are probably going to be cutting uh, a few talented players, or you're going to see those fifth round, sixth round kind of pick trades late in training camp where other teams were kind of on the flip side of where the Browns usually are. Other teams are looking for some talent from a winning roster. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. We continue our discussion with Jared Mueller from brownswire.com, continue with the discussion of the Browns draft class, and then their outlook for the upcoming season. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. So you've you've already mentioned the the Brown, two or three of the top picks for the Browns. You've got Newsom in round one. You've got Jeremiah, so J.K. Okay. They, they make it difficult us on us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, honestly, I, he was a guy that, that I had the Browns targeting in the first round. It was, that was kind of what people thought. Um, then he had Schwartz in the third round, a guy the Cardinals kind of looked at anybody else, any other complimentary impact players you, you think that the Browns got at least for this year in the draft. 
Yeah, I think uh, Tommy Togiai um, is an interesting defensive tackle. Again, the Browns are if that if there's a weakness, it's probably there. They don't have stud that they really like on the inside of their defensive line. Um, and then they actually uh, signed Marvin Wilson out of Florida State, uh, someone uh, as an undrafted free agent. So those are two that are going to be really interesting. Interesting guy with Marvin Wilson because I remember early like the the the, the way too early mocks. He was a first rounder. He was a top ten pick, right? right? And so he was one of those players who you could see that COVID and the weird season and some injury stuff all played a role in just a really unmade motivated player. Uh, some of those kind of things. And I think uh, the other one is uh, Demetric Felton, uh, UCLA. Mm. He was a running back. He was a wide receiver. I mean, he tore some people up at the senior bowl. Like he made some corners look foolish out there. And so they don't even know, are they going to have him as a running back wide receiver, a little bit of both. So they have this little gadget weapon dude to go along with all those other weapons. Um, whether he makes the roster is another conversation. The Browns have Dearness Johnson, who's a return man as well. Um, so, I, but I think Felton could be interesting um, just because no one knew what to do with him. He's not someone you're going to draft knowing, Oh, he's going to be a receiver or oh, he's going to be a running back. He's a guy you draft because you have that all taken care of. And now you have this creative, really flexible guy. So the Browns, I mean, I feel like they got a lot of good, good value on their picks. Um, people who do what they need them to do, which is great when you're a good team. And that's what you can focus on instead of needing these guys to hit home runs Get me some singles. Get me some doubles. Let's make sure they fit with what we need. So this is, must be weird. The Browns it, it, team I, that is loaded in talent and has expect and not just not just expectations because of development, expectations because they've already performed and they have better talent as well. It's confusing. I mean, it really is. Like when you talk, when Travis Kelsey, who is a Cleveland native and a Cleveland, like he's a homer, he's a Cleveland guy. When he says where the Browns are neck and neck with Kansas, neck and neck with Kansas City, and actually means it, and he's not laughing, he's not being just kind of being jovial. <laughs> like he actually means it. And then yeah. obviously, not to not to bring up the negative stuff, but obviously Kansas City now has to deal with the Frank Clark thing. Um, yeah, come out of that, right? Week one. Given his history, I don't think the Browns are playing Frank Clark. Like, I don't think that's happening. Um, and so it is very strange. Um, I think the reality for Browns fans is they haven't watched a good team ever. Uh, most of them have never watched a good team. And so it's going to be weird because the expectations are perfection now. And so I can't tell you how many conversations I'm like, that's not what happens with good teams. Like Baker Mayfield threw, I think, eight interceptions last year, somewhere in that range. And people are like, can't believe you turned the ball over so much. You're killing me, dude. Um, and so I think it's going to be really interesting. And then honestly, when you get to the playoffs at some level, I don't feel like in the NFL, the best team always wins. I nope. think a lot of times it's Yahtzee, right? Like look, Patrick Mahomes goes down. The Browns should have beat Kansas city. Could they have gone to the super bowl and actually had a real offensive line against Tampa Bay, right? I'm not saying that's realistic, but could they have? Cause Kansas City all of a sudden doesn't have an offensive line, doesn't have a chance against the Bucks. Like those things happen. So, you know, in the playoffs, for me, it's they're going to win the, they're going to make the playoffs unless some crazy crap happens. They're going to make the playoffs. And then at that point, you just do the best you can. But I think they put themselves in a great position. When I was talking, I can't remember who it was I was talking to on the other opponent. It's there. I was actually talking to Kevin Hickey today, um, Colts. Because the Colts are kind of in that that Cardinals range in the AFC, mm -hmm. where they're they're good, but they don't think they're top tier. So you've got you've got basically in terms of what you believe are the the top top teams: you've Kansas City, Buffalo, 
And now suddenly Cleveland is in that same conversation. But it's it's not like a tier below because they won 11 games last year. They got better defensively. So you can look at them and say, hey, Buffalo, Kansas City, Cleveland, and some people would probably put Baltimore. So that 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 division is going to be – it's now it's – the inter- interesting thing about the division is that you might have – People say, we like to say that the NFC West is the best division in football, and from top to bottom, it probably is. But when you go to the AFC North, and you've got Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Baltimore, all three, which were, well, Pittsburgh, who was a world beater until the end of the year, uh, and you've got, you know, the MVP, a couple years ago, MVP and Lamar Jackson, you've got the Browns that look like they're going to be really, really good, the Steelers, who have consistently been in the playoff mix, but you, then you, have you the don't Bengals. count them out until you're, and until then you got the Bengals. actually done. Yeah. And so, well, but even with the Bengals, the Bengals are going to be better, right? They're going to be better. Yeah. But they've got a better I, offensive I, line. I and do all that. think they made like as much as Jamar chase is going to be great. I think with Joey Burrow, they really should have drafted an offensive lineman to Yeah, Penesul would have been perfect there. Yes. Um, and a little dumb thing. I, I have some medical people in my life who looked at uh, Joe Burrow's scar and were like, something happened. That's not good. That's not a good scar. Like, and I don't know nothing about that kind of stuff, but they're like, there's that, that scar should not be that big. That should not be that wide. That should not be that long. I'm like, what are you talking about but it does look gnarly like if i would have put him on that throne picture they did i would have put him in some tights or something <laughs> like hide that thing that's that's some gnarly stuff but yeah it's it's a really um sorry i got distracted by an adam Schefter tweet i apologize greatly for that um so my bad y'all <laughs> oh and there it is oh geez yeah, that, breaking news that's going to be re- that you're going to hear on the show in three weeks <laughs> so this was breaking hey, news guys, three weeks yeah. ago for you who are listening now right if you guys are wondering when this was recorded adam Schefter <laughs> just talked about a player getting shot four times oh my gosh. give you an idea um he is okay and he's gonna make a full recovery but just a little <laughs> like behind the curtain three weeks ago <laughs> so so no when you're listening to us we didn't just record this yesterday this was this was at the end of june so yeah <laughs> but with that so as you as obviously the browns have high expectations so obviously we we look at that kind of their their floor should be basically what they did last year right mm-hmm. yep. and the ceiling is as high as it can go without put actually saying the words because it's feels weird to say it but they could they could be Super Bowl contenders. They could be champions mm-hmm. this year if everything goes right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the Browns. I mean, I think it would take. I mean, it would take a major Baker injury and Miles Garrett. Like Case Keenum, they've kept on the roster despite um, there have been some trade interests from a, di- a few different teams. Little interest, not for a lot, uh, but they could have saved a lot of cap space. They've kept them on the roster because they believe they still have an opportunity to be a Super Bowl contender without baker mayfield which there is very few rosters in the nfl that you're still a super bowl contender without your quarterback so yeah i mean <laughs> yes it, it it is super bowl contender right and i think looking at the roster while there's a lot of players that come up in free agency and all that stuff uh the browns believe they were a year ahead last year they thought they could make the playoffs um but they made the playoffs and won a game so they're already a year ahead that means afc championship game is their expectation that they are competing for a championship 
and then competing for the Super Bowl. That is exact. They believe that should be what they're looking at, and that's what they're going to try. I mean, that's what they're pushing for all year. Um, Baker Mayfield and contract stuff. Is that going to happen? It is. It's a question of when. Um, and to be honest, I forgot to. I, I meant to say this. What'll be really interesting is in your guys, our game with you guys. Uh, he is not the biggest Cliff Kingsbury fan in the world. Oh no! Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm really intrigued to see how that game goes, and if there's if there's an attempt at putting a 40 50 burger on on his good buddy Kyler, they get along really well. And oh yeah. Not so good buddy Cliff. Like that could be really interesting. Um, and and speaking of 40 50, that's what we're talking about in Baker's contract. I think if he signs that this off season. He's, he's, he's just above Dak Prescott, just below Patrick Mahomes. I think if he signs it after the year, you're talking about something close to Patrick Mahomes. Um, and Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Baker Mayfield are all waiting for which one's going to sign first. Yeah. Uh, and somebody's going to give. I just don't know who it's going to be. And that's the Cardinals in a year or two as well. It, it really is. And, yes. and again, if the, there are worse things that have happened than to pay a, a franchise a really quarterback, good quarterback. Yeah. And lose quality players every once in a while. Like, we're going to lose Ronnie Harrison after the season. Uh, he's a free agent. They picked him up last year in a fifth-round uh, trade. He's their third starting safety. Uh, but he's re- he played really, really well last year. He was, I believe, ninth-grade uh, coverage grade among nice. safeties from Pro Football Focus last year. They're going to lose him most likely. They're not going to have the money to pay him. They might lose Wyatt Teller. Um, so, you know, losing good players is kind of the price of having a good team. And that's why this year in particular, it, it's kind of like the Cardinals are, are setting themselves up for this year. Next year is that before that big quarterback contract hit, you try to have big talent around your quarterback before you're saying quarterback, you've got to be it. And yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely. So that's why you signed JJ Watt to 45, whatever. I don't know what the actual contract 28 million was. over two years. It was a little, it was a little much. It's it a little, little bit much. It's fine. <laughs> it's their money. <laughs> It's Cardinals money. It's not my money. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what Chan- I don't know how Chandler Jones feels about that statement there, but eh, they, they maybe in three weeks too. they need to pay him too. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's he's <laughs> quietly holding out that it it hasn't gone it hasn't gone super public, but it, it's it's quietly an issue. Uh, yeah. So as you look at the uh, from a Browns perspective, what do you mm-hmm. see out of the Cardinals coming to this? And we're not trying to predict the game, obviously. Sure. Because, no. But, but what do you see the Cardinals as opponent-wise as you look ahead of the season? So I'm probably lower on Kyler and Cliff than most people are. Uh, I'm not really impressed by his uh, Cliff Kingsbury's game management. Um, and Kyler, I don't know what it, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, I just don't feel like he's going to be able to take that next step. Like I think he, I, he feels like a tease quarterback, like he's good, but he may not be able to take that next step. That, again, that's just from the outside looking in. Uh, obviously, having DeAndre Hopkins on the outside is huge for that. Uh, for him, I like Christian Kirk a lot more coming out of college. He's really struggled uh, compared to what I expected out of him. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, it'll just be interesting what the transition looks like uh, with JJ Watt. Patrick Peterson's out, obviously. Uh, what happens with Chandler Jones? I just feel like the the Cardinals are are st- are really in that middle ground, and they're going to need some of their young players to really take those next steps the next year or two uh, to really fill out the roster um, and to really um, help Kyler. Like I don't think Kyler is going to raise a ton of boats. I think he might be better off not in a, 
a Cliff Kingsbury system, to be honest with you, uh, because this isn't college. And I think Cliff is doing that. Um, but I think they're right in that middle. And it really just depends on a couple players taking that next step um, and whether or not that's the right coach for for the NFL, for, you know, for Kyler. Which we'll find out probably this year. Um, this is kind of the make or break year. We, we, we think we think it's a make or break year kind of for for Kingsbury and Steve Kime, honestly, in that case, a general manager. With that, thank you very much. That's, that's, that is Jared Mueller from brownswire.com. And, of course, thank you so much for being on the show. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web, we move on to our next opponent preview, the Houston Texans. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. And... The next segment we have is one of the next opponents that the Cardinals have on the schedule. The Houston Texans, whom the Cardinals will host in Week 7. They will host the Texans in Week 7. Kind of the the DeAndre Hopkins-J.J. Watt reunion game, although be it here in Phoenix. And to help us get a little bit more knowledgeable about the Texans the last year and the upcoming season, I've got Texans Wire Managing Editor Mark Lane. Uh, Mark... Thanks for coming on the show. I super appreciate it. Um, I know we, we we interact a little bit there on Slack, but this is one of the things I actually I did this last year for the first time. Um, do these shows to get to know well the other editors on the on the wire, so that it's more than just a few lines here and there on Slack. But thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I know you're a busy guy. You've got a lot going on right now. Uh, yes, because this is the dead period between the end of work. Uh, of off-season workouts and then training camp at the end of july so this is the point where you got to get everything wrapped up so you're not yes. focusing on things in the middle of football season some people get born and married during this time of the year if you're a sports writer so <laughs> this is we got to take advantage of all of our affairs right now that's right that's right so tell us uh, obviously Cardinals fans are familiar with the Texans and the fact that we've got two of Houston's stars. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins acquired him a year ago, kind of make Bill O'Brien the butt of every joke in the NFL. And J.J. Water, after asking for his release, he signs with the Cardinals. But tell us about last season, which was after, after years of being okay and making it to the playoffs, what happened last year? Uh, what happened was you not i mean this is just a fact um some people handled it well and some people didn't and that's the lockdowns and not having an off-season program and so you weren't able to acclimate your rookies you weren't able to uh gel with your receivers uh and like i said some teams did well like cleveland and they adapted and some teams didn't like houston and they just got run over. And also, when you start out your schedule, again, it's not an excuse, it's a challenge. You have to meet it. If you don't, then you start off 0-3. And, and that's when you take on Kansas City, Baltimore, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, so they got into a hole early, and they couldn't climb out. When they did, it was after they were 0-4, and, and they beat the, the also winless Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and really, it, when they started to get momentum, they were four and seven coming off of a Thanksgiving Day victory 
over the Detroit Lions. Uh, they were four and seven, but right after that, their number one cornerback in Bradley Roby is suspended along with Will Fuller for the final five games of the season. And so you had this hit to the team and they just gave away games. Uh, they had the Indianapolis Colts on the map twice. They gave it away. They had the Cincinnati Bengals on the map. Gave it away. Um, they had the, then, the, you know, the Bears demolished them. But then they had Tennessee, a playoff team. And they took on, you know, it was a high-scoring game. And they lost on a field goal. Uh, I think Deshaun Watson, and it was good that he got a Pro Bowl, just kind of like as a merit badge of way to still <laughs> be great on an awful team. Uh, they couldn't look at this, Jess. Nine takeaways through a 16 game oh season. Oh my gosh. Nine. They couldn't, that's, they couldn't even get double digits. They, that was obviously the worst in the NFL. They gave up 5.2 yards per carry, mm. the worst in the NFL. So that meant if you just wanted to run the ball and get five yards against Houston, it could happen. You could and, run the like on average, you could just run your ball, run the ball down the field to a score every drive. Yeah, and, that, and that's what was happening was the run was so effective that then when teams dropped back to pass, there was virtually no um, anxiety, so to speak, and they could find the open man or you know live for another down or whatever. And their zone coverage was bad, and they just got carved up. And they never with some teams, it was like that. Let's take Dallas, for example. They were awful. See, also in the early part of the year. Miscommunication and giving up stuff. going to stop the run and all this. But eventually, they, you know, they gelled and they were tough in December and all. It just never happened for Houston. And Deshaun Watson was having to bail them out constantly. And then, even though he made receivers like Kiki QT and Chad Hansen, even though he made these guys, they just – the defense was still just so poor it was so impossible to overcome and it just it snowballed out of control and that's how they ended up four and twelve if not maybe if fuller and roby don't get suspended maybe they finish eight and eight but they just when that happened it just it was too much and and even though they added an extra playoff spot per conference you know, they, I don't think they would have qualified because of how good the AFC was last year. Right. I mean, there was a, what was it, the 11 wins wasn't even enough for Miami, was it? They, right. <laughs> that, that was, the AFC was crazy last year in that sense. Now, obviously that brings us to the offseason of drama with Deshaun Watson, who first um, was unhappy and then has a mess of legal issues. I don't want to go too in-depth to that. But basically at this point, do you see Deshaun Watson in a Texans uniform this next season? Or will he be able, will he get traded or will he be playing anywhere this next year? I don't know because the deposition for the case involving the 22 allegations of sexual assault, the deposition on that does not occur, of Deshaun Watson, does not occur until 
the week after the Super Bowl. <laughs> so this is just that's this is just the sword of Damocles just hanging over uh, Watson, hanging over whatever team trades for Watson, because now the NFL is conducting their own investigation in this. And as we've seen, the NFL, they'll just, you know, do whatever they want. If they want to throw down some suspensions, they'll do it. Um, it's it, it's another risk because you could give up assets to acquire this player in 2021, and then the NFL comes in on you and says, no, 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 we're, we're going to put him on commissioner exempt. You're like, wait, what? He's our quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I don't think he plays football in 2021. Which brings us to the offseason moves that they've made. So they have Tyra Taylor. Um, who are the other significant? He or doesn't even name all, like, 85 of them. <laughs> Tyrod Taylor, uh, let's see, Desmond King. Oh, look at all of these names. I, it's it would be like graduation. <laughs> <laughs> so who who was of of any note? Who were the players in in free agency of note that they added, and any that that were significant losses other other than what which actually we know happened early before free agency, and, and we're well aware of it because he's here now. Yeah. Yeah, I think J.J. Watt was the most significant um, because that 2020 roster who it featured um, was, I mean, it was already kind of depleted on defense because you had Watt. That was about it. And Zach Cunningham, he's good. Led the league in tackles with 164. He's still in Houston. So that's what I'm saying. All right. So, of uh, so. Obviously, Tyrod Taylor, then the running backs. I think Philip Lindsay is going to be interesting because he was another player who kind of suffered from the, you know, from the lockdowns and everything. And he didn't get to, he talked about it, that offseason program. And he just, he overcompensated. That's why he got injured. So it'll be interesting to see if he has a bounce back. Mark Ingram, I feel like, is just a locker room presence. I think when he gets out there, I don't think he's going to. He had 200 and I think 29 yards last season. Um, he wasn't that effective compared to his Pro Bowl season in 2019. Um, David Johnson, uh, you know, he's he's turned into was, just a guy. I mean, he's yeah, the yeah, after he's, after that that season in 2016. Uh, once he and uh, when he got hurt at the start of 2017, he hasn't been yeah. the same player after that. Yeah. Yeah, and also I think he's pushing 30. So I would look for Philip Lindsay to uh, take the reins and to be the, the guy. Uh, Receiver-wise, receiver uh, they added Andre Roberts, a returner. Chris Conley, they're hoping, will replace Will Fuller as the speedy threat on the outside. Um, they also uh, they also added... Um, as a tight end, they added Ryan Izzo from the New England Patriots. Um, but they're really, you know, still kind of hoping Jordan Aikens takes the role. This is one I was surprised with. They cut Nick Martin, the starting center, who played over, started over 60 games for them at center since 2017. And then they, they signed Justin Britt, 
who was really good with the Seattle Seahawks um, going back to 2014, I believe it was. But he's, he blew, blew out his ACL in 2019 after eight games. Then he doesn't – he's not even in football during 2020. And now he's going to be your starting center. That's just such a risk. But the Texans were also salary cap strapped. So that's why they're making a lot of these moves and also signing players to one-year, two-year deals. Um, but that that was an addition. They also brought traded for Marcus Cannon from the New England Patriots, uh, who they pretty much have penciled in as the right tackle, which then causes the question of what happens to the incumbent third-year right tackle Titus Howard, who they drafted in the first round in 2019. Theoretically, you could kick him inside at one of the guard spots where he played in his in his rookie preseason and week two of his rookie season against Jacksonville Jaguars. And then the defense is really that's where all of the free agent um, signings have hit the most. They brought in Lyle Collins, Lyle Collins, Malik Collins, who was with the Cowboys from 2016 to 2019, was with the Raiders in 2020 to have him play some three technique in their new Tampa 2 scheme uh, coached by Lovey Smith. Uh, they also brought in, they traded for Shaq Lawson from the, who played with the Bills and he was with Miami last year. Uh, they signed Jordan Jenkins from the New York Jets, and he was an outside linebacker. They're going to have him come off the ball in a three-point stance. At, at, in the linebacking core, they signed Christian Kirksey from the Packers. Uh, Zach, not Zach Tom, Joe Thomas from the Dallas Cowboys. And in the secondary, you, they brought in Desmond King. Um, they brought in Terrence Mitchell from the Cleveland Browns. They've really just thrown a lot of resources into free agency. And in their draft class, it looked like they were picking guys just to foment competition and that had the right kind of character, allegedly. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web, we continue the conversation with Mark Lane, the site editor from TexansWire.com. We go further in depth about the draft class and then look ahead to the outlook for the Texan season and what they have to look forward to it and even talk a little bit about AS Arizona State and, and Arizona. That's kind of next on Rise Up Sea Red. Um, you know, I only say that because you don't know until you take someone and you put them in the NFL. Give them some and money have, and, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's... Well, let's it's, be honest. The allegations against Deshaun Watson seem completely against everything we know about Watson as a, as a human being. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but it's more so, I was the best where I was, and I'm just another guy. Right. And can you, for the last time in your football career overcome that um because you've out athleted everyone to this point you're not going to be able to do it now can you pick it up mentally and so that's what i mean but they so their draft class they um they took davis mills from stanford and then you get the stories that come out you know kellen mon's dad says that those are my favorite you know um, but Kellen Mond's dad says that 
the Texans were going to draft him. Oh, but the Vikings drafted him. Oh. It reminds me of 2019 when, oh, Houston reached for Titus Howard. They wanted Andre Dillard. Oh, Houston reached, but the Eagles got him. Meanwhile, who's playing in the NFL and who isn't? It's so who reached? I'm like, come on. Anyway, um, so they got Davis Mills and they like his character and his makeup and he's a leader and all this kind of stuff. We'll see if he can throw the football and if he gets just, you know, shell shocked after getting sacked and blindsided <laughs> and everything. But I don't think that'll happen because Laramie Tunsil will probably do a good job. Um, so then you have that and then they that was the third round. Then they traded up for Nico Collins. This is an interesting one. They traded up for Nico Collins from Michigan, who's six four two fifteen, and he's he has blazing speed. He could be a decent outside threat for them. And we'll have to see because he sat out, he opted out of twenty twenty. Um, how he reacclimates to football. Then they in the fifth round they had they drafted Brevin Jordan from Miami. They, he's athletic. They like his leadership. They like the competition he's going to bring at the position. Then they drafted Garrett Wallow from a TCU, a linebacker that, uh, you know, who probably has a chance to grow into the role and eventually become a sidekick to Zach Cunningham. There should be pro bowl linebacker. I mean, I don't mean to say nothing, but I mean, if some guy records 164 tackles and leads it in the league, I would think he would be a top 11 linebacker. That's just me, though. Um, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I have not read um, Doug's article yet on the linebackers, <laughs> because I know there's going to be none of the Cardinals. Okay, here's what's funny, and this is a little inside baseball for everybody. Every, so people are getting mad, or like, if Doug did this. If Doug did that, then Mark Schofield wrote the article instead. Oh, it was Mark. <laughs> so, right. So we're all like, Doug, how could you? I, I, honestly, Mark. I think Doug and Mark are, might be the same person. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they might be. Um, the, by the way, we're talking about Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield, who do a lot of the the analytical rankings, lists, analysis over on on our sister site, Touchdown, Touchdown Wire. And they, yeah, they they really do a good job they of do. breaking down the film and showing you tendency schemes and and really if you want to know more about the X's and O's they're really great at that. And but they never that. put Texans or Cardinals on their lists. So we don't No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh anyway, then you had, then they drafted Roy Lopez, who maybe y'all are familiar with, from Arizona, uh, in the sixth round. So I, I will say, I'm not an Arizona. Like I live in Arizona. Arizona State's my Tucson. Mm, we 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 don't talk about that school. Right, but what about <laughs> your audience though? Um, yeah, some. There you go. They they, so, they yeah. they'll know him. I that's I, who I was talking. Hey, hey yes, that's <laughs> who I was talking. To. That's what I was talking to. I think it's cool y'all have two schools like that. I wish we had, we had done that in Arkansas with Arkansas and Arkansas State, but instead they were just so scared of getting beat. You know what I mean? Instead, and that's what I hate about life in general. Sometimes is you have to embrace the competition 
Absolutely. And don't be scared because then everybody wins. You know, and that's what I like is you guys have a, a nice in-state rivalry and you're both in the same conference. It's fun. It is. Uh, yeah. Leads for some fun bragging rights or, or a year of pain. Yeah don't, yeah, don't, yeah, don't tell anyone. This is just a secret between you and me and the audience. But I, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, I would pick Arizona State because you got Darren Woodson, mm-hmm. you got Danny White, mm-hmm. and you got Danny's father, who was like Mr. Arizona Sports. Uh, I think it was Wizard White. Yes. So that's what I mean. So that I would have to go with my mom sports. went to high school with Danny White. Crazy. Oh, cool. Yeah. So because he was he yeah. he he grew up here in the East Valley. My my mom went to high school with him. So yeah, and, and not to talk too much about that, but he was such a competitor that. Like he and Roger Staubach in training camp would be just going at it heavy over, <laughs> you know. And he was—he he was a phenomenal athlete, though, just like his father. Yeah. So that's why I said I would have to pick—I would have to pick the Sun Devils no, if I had to. That's, that is really the only choice. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so um, as you look forward to this this coming season, what is the outlook? that the Texans have? What's kind right, of the expectations? The All right, here's the outlook. Here's the outlook. You remember when you were a kid and you'd say, can we have McDonald's? And your mom would say, we have food at home. That's the outlook. <laughs> it's like, there's an NFL season coming. Can, can we expect some wins now? We got lost. No, there, there's going to be games. Like, <laughs> yeah. How, how good are the Texans? They're going to play. They're going to play. Yeah. And, and realistically, I actually did write an article about this at Texans Wire, and it's three reasons to – here, let me pull up the actual title of it. Um, it's three reasons fans should be all in on the 2021 <laughs> Houston Texans. And in, in those reasons, I cite, yeah, it's going to be awful, but think about it. As from an investment standpoint, you're buying low. Buy low, <laughs> buy low, sell high. So uh, there was an there was a columnist, Jerome Solomon from the Houston Chronicle, who wrote about how he went from nineteen thousand seriously um, in 2011 on the Texans season ticket holder waiting list to number one, and he was like, well, I, I, and I said no. And, you know, because I would buy nothing that the Texans are selling because they're just bad. Well, okay, I you know, that's living in the moment. We're talking about the future. Think about it. So are, they're just going to be bad forever, right? In the league of parity that the NFL has created, you really think that they're just going to be horrendous forever? That only happens to the, to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and even the Jacksonville Jaguars, who – the Jags had a great year that one year. That's what I'm saying is uh, their last playoff season of 27 of 07 when they beat Pittsburgh um, in the wild card. And then they had some kind of exciting seasons, but they weren't horrendous until they fired Jack Del Rio. And in 2012, you get bringing Mike Malarkey, Gus Bradley in 13. He's there for a couple seasons, gets fired. Uh, with a couple games to go in 2016. Those were the horrendous Jaguars years. And then in 2017, Doug Marone leads them a fumble recovery away 
overturned from being in the Super Bowl. So that's what I'm saying is it's not going to be horrendous like the Browns. It's going to be uh, there's going to be excite in the future, excitement, some heartbreak, a magical season. So buy low, sell high when it comes to the. And then you can say that you were a fan even in 2021. Exactly, because it gives you street cred. That's right. Because, you know, think about it, Jess. Aren't they fans of the Cardinals? Um, and we'll just go back to the history that they forged in Phoenix. No, they were bad. Um, they were yeah, well, bad. Well, one winning right. seat, one winning season from 1998 till 2000, till 2008. And that was their okay. 98 playoff run. They went 9-7. and seven. That's the best year that they had, the only time they made the playoffs. They were awful. They were awful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, they – yeah. And But what a what a wild card win they had, though. Oh, yes, uh, yes. We, we, we love that win over the Cowboys to this day. <laughs> okay, but think about it. Let's say that um, you were someone that was – that can't – that – started going to Cardinals games and everything and you liked them in 07 just that year before they when it was their first year under Wisenhunt and then they he decided we're going with Warner not Leonard as a quarterback let's just say even that year and then it's been kind of great since then but you don't have what if you got in before then and it was when they were still playing at Sun Devil Stadium and they didn't have uh, and they just had practice jerseys and everything as uniforms. Um, what, what, if you, like. <laughs> what if you were in, you know, like I said, um, 2000, 2001, the later Jake Plummer years, that's street cred. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Get in on the Texans now and, and suffer through this horrendous season of watching all the games. And it'll make awful. the victory later on even sweeter. Right, and this is a this is a lot different than 2020. Although they finished four and twelve, um, there were still some question marks as to what type of optimism they could have. You also, as I said, they were four and seven, then they finished on a five game losing streak. This there's just pessimism, and death. <laughs> I mean, this is like this is like being in post World War II Poland if it were a <laughs> football team. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yay, we just got rescued from the Nazis. Oh, that's nice. Now we're going to be under the Soviets. Uh-huh. <laughs> In terms of optimism, so if so, you can build street credit as a Texans fan that way. And then I think this defense is going to be fun to watch. I don't think they're just going to give up the run. I think they're going to have some things that they do well and things on film that, you know, people like pro football focus and whatever – will spin out an article or a GIF or something that can be an exciting component to watch that you can build on going forward. So I I really think that there are reasons to get in on the Texans now, even though it's not going to be a lot. Of <laughs> well, and at, at minimum, at minimum, we'll get to see DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt face their team. Um, this yeah, coming year, I, I do wish that would it be. I, I wish that were an NRG stadium. Right, that that would have been a much better story this year. Yeah, because they would. I think they would have come back to cheers, and I think that the fans would have come out with banners and posters and everything, and said, you know, and said, see, 
Yeah. Like they might have cheered them in the fourth quarter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to show Cal McNair and, and Jack Easterby, you guys messed up. Um, and But nonetheless, it'll still be exciting because um, reporters are going to ask, hey, uh, Watt and Hopkins, what do y'all think of this? Hey, David Cully, what do you think of that? Oh, we only talk about the players that are we here. Got, right. By the way, how how what is the reception? What do you think of David Cully so far? I think that he's a good motivator. Um, I think that he's... Uh, I think he should have got a chance like this sooner. And at 65 years old, I, given the hand that he has dealt, I have doubts that he will produce any success. But <laughs> in terms of... Um, if he would have, you know, what what could he do with a three-time Pro Bowl quarterback that is an amazing athlete? Um, I I think he's walking into just, you know. You, it's hard to turn down one of the 32 best jobs in the NFL. Yeah. But yeah, that, that is. But, he, but this is what's important, folks, just to carry to your own life. He comes into this thing with just optimism every day he doesn't go into he's a cons consistently optimistic every day and positive but it's just having the the high energy to manage the conflicts to take on the problems and not succumb to them and that's what you have to have is just a sense of it's hard but we're gonna see this through to the other side and may not i mean because coaching jobs in the NFL are like wagon trains out West. Okay. You, you, you may not make it. You may die of this. <laughs> but you have to have the confidence and, and, and the belief that you will make it to the Pacific coast. But uh, I think, you know, they've, they've already got dysentery um, before, they've even, before they've even left Illinois. Oh so. goodness. Well, Mark, I, I thank you so much for your time. This has been a fantastic segment. I've, some of the things that we brought up, we've got Old West, we got dysentery refer references. It, it's it's been fantastic, Mark. I thank you for your time. You can find his content on TexansWire.usaToday.com, one of our sister sites. Thanks again, Mark. That wraps up this edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. We've talked to Jared Mueller from Browns Wire and Mark Lane from Texans Wire as we previewed the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans. We will have another show later this week um, that will cover the Cardinals' next two opponents on the schedule, their Week 8 opponent, the Green Bay Packers, and then also... Week 10, the Carolina Panthers. We'll be back again later this week. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Ah!